Ali Baker, she, her, an education lecturer and children's fantasy literature researcher at University of East London. You're listening to Fantasy Book Swap, where a guest and I swap children's fantasy fiction, one classic and one contemporary, and we discuss them. Today, I'm joined by Anne Rosen, e-learning specialist, con runner and SFF fan, whose degree subject was in fact inspired by one of our books. Hello, what have you been up to recently? Um, hi, Ali. Um, I've been reading um, <laughs> a, a, a couple of books, for fantasy books, for, <laughs> and watching a, 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 very, a very interesting adaptation of one of them. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely, I think, interesting is certainly the word for it i did i did see that on your um on social media you you commented that you've been dreaming of rats and i felt i felt a bit bad about that but you know at least you were dreaming about sardines dancing so that that's okay yes i was i was dreaming about lovely rats who bring joy to the world yes not horrible rats that that take joy away so it was absolutely fine no it was it it was really really um enjoyable to revisit um one of my childhood favorites um and it was really interesting to go back to another book that I had previously read but when it first came out so it's quite a while Mm. ago now yeah it's it's not actually that contemporary it's um uh, yeah, it's it's actually twenty more than twenty years old. Um, the second book that we're we're talking about. So, yeah. So, um, before we go any further, you um you chose Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Can you explain? Because you said to me earlier that um your degree choice was actually inspired by um this book. So, can, can you explain a little bit more about that? Um, so just just to go into the plot of it, um, mm. it's a story of Mrs. Frisbee, um, and she was married to uh, Jonathan Frisbee because apparently field mice follow quite um, traditional <laughs> um, relationship uh, models. <laughs> yes, um, but but tragically, she's been widowed um, at the start of the book. We don't know what exactly has happened, mm. and she's 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 raising her four children alone. Um, she lives on a farm. She has a comfortable little house, which is a a half brick in a field, um, and the pattern of their life is is very simple. During the winter months, they live in the half brick. Um, they're protected from the weather, and then as it gets warmer. Um, they they move from where this half brick is in this field because the farmer will plough the field and then they Mm. go and live at the riverbank um, with the other animals, the small animals. They all relocate in the summer months. Um, Unfortunately, um, her son Timothy becomes ill uh, with pneumonia um, and she 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 is advised to not move Timothy mm. before he is able to be moved, um, and so it becomes necessary for them to stay in the half brick for a bit longer than normal. And everybody's hoping that it's a it's a it's a it stays nice and um, mm. cold and frosty. But unfortunately, the weather turns; it becomes warmer, 
and they hear the farmer testing out the plough and then the tractors started up and then this starts the whole um, adventure of Mrs Frisbee mm. um, and how she re- meets the, the rats of Nim um, who it turns out have got a longer history with their family than she's aware of. Mm. Do you think that's fair enough? Yes, I do. I do think that's fair enough. And we get this story within a story about the origins of the rats of Nim, don't we? Um, and is that was was the kind of that origin story the thing that you got you interested in your degree subject? Yes, it was. So just to just to I I think I got this book as a prize or a leaving gift from my primary school. Uh-huh. So the book was originally published in 1971. My edition was the film tie-in edition, which I'm holding up. Yes. We're holding the them up. We both books. got the same copy. Yeah. <laughs> um, mine's very mine's very, very well loved. Um, yes. I might photograph it and put it on social media later. Um, and it was published in 1982. So this mm. means that I would have been 10. Mm. So that would have been my final year of primary school. And I can't imagine that I would have, I, I spent a lot of time in the library, like many people. I can't believe I'd have picked this up in the library, realised I loved it, and then someone would have bought it mm. for me because I, I can't see that would have happened. So I do think I, I won it or I was given it by somebody in school. And the teacher who gave it to me was obviously a very good judge of character mm. because the rats in this book um, are wild rats who are captured and taken mm. to a laboratory. And in the laboratory, they are experimented upon. They're, giving a, they're given an injection that alters their DNA. Now, I don't think I was very aware of DNA at the age of 12. I might have been because I was a, a strange child, but this definitely put the idea of DNA and what that meant for humans and all the different implications of that into my mind. I went on to do a biology A-level and then did a degree in genetics. And I, mm. and now, <laughs> with hindsight, I think possibly it, it my interest mm. came from reading this because not, nothing else I would have read up to this point would have touched on animal experimentation or DNA or um, observational study <laughs> or yeah. anything like that. So yeah, so I think I think this is um, this was this contributed to it. The other thing that it contributed to was I became now I'm not vegetarian, but I am quite anti-animal experimentation Mm. and to the point where um I actually caused a bit of a stir when I was doing my A-levels because I refused to dissect a mouse I have never dissected an animal um I've dissected plants yes um although later on in my career I did have to do some work with rats tails which Mm. involved dealing with uh, laboratory rats but they were dead mm. but um it's still something that I don't like I, I don't like the idea mm. of of doing unnecessary animal mm. experiments and we can argue about what defines something as necessary mm. um 
but it's only with high. I mean, I think it was only, I think it was another one of the fancy book swap episodes that reminded me mm. of this book. And that's when I think I sort of picked up and said, oh no, hang on a minute. I now know, I now remember what my favorite childhood book was. Oh, wow. It was this one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yes. I think I get this confused because I thought I'd seen The Secret of Nim. And I haven't at all. I've got it confused with something else, most definitely. Um, but yeah, my, my copy is also the the film tie-in. Um, and I, I, I know I read it as a child, but I don't have particularly strong memories of it. But there were certainly bits, like the bits when the rats start using the intelligence experiments to for their own ends. I definitely remember reading that as a child, but I don't remember a lot of the rest. I didn't remember a lot of the rest of it. I reread this first about seven years ago um, because I was doing some work on Terry Pratchett at the time and reading The Amazing Morris made me think about Miss Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. And, um, but yeah, I had I didn't remember an awful an awful lot of it at all. But then I read an awful lot of books about talking mice at the time. So yeah, there are an awful lot of books about talking mice, which I think we might yes we might we might yeah um, come back to later. I I when I reread it this week, I remembered a lot of it. I remembered a lot of it, and I was surprised at how much of it I remembered. And I think that's just tells you how often I must have read it when I was a child yes um there's a couple of things I didn't remember um uh, massive spoilers by the way mm-hmm. if you haven't read this book and you're going to rush out and read it on my recommendation oh definitely I, don't, I didn't <laughs> remember about the other mice so when mm. the rats initially use their newfound intelligence and skill to escape from the laboratory I didn't remember how many mice had gone with them so that mm. was a little bit of, ooh, that's, oh, I'd forgotten that bit. That was quite exciting. Mm. exciting. The other thing I didn't remember was the toy tinker. No, no. I'd forgotten that as well. Yeah. So uh, just to just, I mean, because this is relevant, I think, to the differences between the two books. Yeah. Um, the the rats encounter um, a toy tinker in, in, the, in the wood at one point. Um, and this does two things. It, it demonstrates the need to bury people, but also, <laughs> yeah. which is very weird, but it also, um, it's where they get a lot of their tools from yes. and that they build their ratty civilization from. Because um, this is very much, I think, as much as I love Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, and I think it does hold up well mm. for a modern audience although it's getting a bit old-fashioned I think in terms of the farming methods and everything that mm. are in it um the rats are very much a society that humans have built mm. they've they are very focused on their intelligent they use technology and science but but their abilities are trained into them 
from the laboratory experiments that have been performed on them and also a little bit of luck and chance. So they don't have to make tools because they find these tools mm. and they do get a lot of the equipment that they use for their um, living quarters from other people so that I, I they are quite they are like little miniature humans I mm. think yeah they and they very much like as you mentioned with um Mrs Frisbee we don't I don't think we ever find out what her first name is either do we she's just Mrs no. Frisbee um and our she's she introduces herself both of Mrs Frisbee and Mrs Jonathan Frisbee so somehow kind of heteronormative um patriarchal naming systems <laughs> are, are inherent in intelligence who knew but um there, there's also this idea that um you know that that they're human to be human is is to be good and so they 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 develop a conscience about stealing through reading yeah um, when they when they they find an an abandoned estate and go and live in it and find the library and because they've learned to read through the through the the testing that that they've undergone in the, in the in the laboratory they've taken on this idea of what is moral and what is right as being very much from human ideals um, which is I think a a peculiar a peculiar message to come from from this book um particularly because the rats you know that they're not they're not sort of seen as disgusting creatures you know whereas i think terry pratchett's uh rats uh quite often quite revel in their their um their reputation as, as disgusting animals and particularly enjoy uh going and whittling on things and so on that's yes. it yeah i think you're right with about that and i also think i think the the future or the ideal mm. environment for the rats is this sort of self-sufficient we will go and this sort of good life type environment mm. that they're going to be moving into yeah. and that's the tension the part of the tension in the book and it, you know it's quite a scary book. It's you know it's not a mm. it's not a nice happy everything ends up lovely for everybody in this book because it doesn't. But one of the tensions in the book is between the rats who say no, it's absolutely fine. The fleas live on the cat or the fleas mm -hmm. live on the dog, um, and so you know we can live off humans. Um, that's absolutely fine. We're not doing them any harm. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. we have enough um space to share um and that's one of the, the conflicts in the book and i'm bringing it up now because you know this this is this is a big difference with the film is there is a rat and there's a difference of opinion and some of the rats leave the colony mm. that's going to go to the bright new self-sufficient future and say no we don't want to live like that we actually quite like modern lighting and mm. um the way we're living now and that's really interesting. Um, the other thing, you know, when we talk about Mrs. Frisbee, Mrs. Jonathan Frisbee, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's it's she's a very pragmatic mouse. Mm. Um, uh, she's actually quite impressive as mm. a female as a female character. Apart from the fact that she's 
defined by her marriage, <clears throat> she is given her own agency in this. Mm. And, you know, um, she makes decisions. She's very brave. Yes, she, she does is. some very brave things. Yes. There's a point where um, she's taken by her friend, Jeremy the Crows, quite early on in the book. She's taken by her friend to visit an owl. And the, uh, I mean, this is, it's really, really frightening for her. And, you know, any child who's reading this book is going to know owls eat mice. Um, you know, that that's their diet. And yeah, and she knows that. And yet she goes and talks to the owl to get to get his advice on what she should do about the um, the whole situation of the you know the ploughing about to start and uh, and the, the fears of of moving Timothy. But at the same time, if they stay in the in the brick, then their then their house is likely to get destroyed. And yeah, they're they're very she's she's incredibly brave. And also she um despite knowing the danger, she is the one that is going, you know, she makes the decision that she is going to be um nabbling the cat uh so that they can they can go into the kitchen and and move things um that they need in order to to move the brick um around so that around the stone so it's going to be safer but yeah she she's incredibly brave and um it's all about her protecting her children and her sort of self-sacrifice but at the same time she knows these dangers she knows what could happen and she knows that there's a very particular danger that she could actually end up with her children being orphaned rather than being rescued and yeah, I think I think you're right. She's uh, she's a, a very impressive character. Yeah, I mean, I think at one point when when I mean, because obviously wherever there is mice, there is cats, and yeah. the the enemy in this book is Dragon the cat. And it, and at one point they where they're talking about drugging the cat so they can move the mm. brick. Um, Justin, who's one of the the rats, says to it, "It's no job for a lady," and she says, mm. "You forget." I'm Timothy's mother. Yes. Yeah, she advocates for herself. Yeah. Mm. If you can take risks to save him, so can I. So, you know, she's 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 a very she's a strong female character, and but I think she's very much of her time. Oh yes, yeah, her, yes, I think so. Um, I do. I I did enjoy her though as a as a kind of. Um, yeah, we we see everything through her eyes, so she has to be a little bit naive um, and not know much about the outside world. But we do later find out that her husband knows the rats because of having been in the lab the laboratory as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's one of the bits of of not even mild peril, quite a lot of peril, is that. Um, you know that the 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 escape from from the laboratory actually does involve um the loss of some of the rats and and mice um and so you know that 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 kind of escape is is uh it, it's a very very exciting part of the book to read but um 
yeah, it's it's not without its its terrors, definitely. Now, and one of the other the other um, the other things, one of the other the, the the leader of the rats, but even though these are rats that don't really have a leader because they're more of a collective, but <laughs> the leader yeah. they don't have is a rat called Nicodemus. And I'd forgotten this, that, um, you know, he's described as um, as having an eye patch and a scar across yeah. one eye. Um, and for the time, you know, the time it was written, um, yeah, you would expect the, the, the baddie to have the scar. Yes. But no, this is, this is the goodie. The goodie has a scar. And, you know, it's obviously... This is this is a result of his um, travails. This is the result of the, the the challenges they faced in escaping from the laboratory and mm. and and getting you know it, yeah it's just it's just really interesting reading it back as an adult. I went oh <laughs> the goodie has the scar. Yes, you're right. It would ordinarily that would be the mark of of someone sinister. Um, you know, we expect pirates to have eye patches don't we baddie pirates as well not not goodie pirates so yeah it's it is a it's very interesting thing so in some ways it's a very modern book and yet on the other hand there are there are things that definitely show that it is a book that was was written 50 years ago which Mm. is a scary thing to think yeah yes 71 was 51 years ago yeah blimey um so we we've touched on a little bit that that the the mice and rats um, encounter uh, technology and science um, and intelligence and cognition. So you mentioned that the they f- they find this toy tinker, so someone who fixes and makes little toys, and he has very tiny tools that are, are quite helpful for you know, making very small things. And so the, the rats can use them. Where, what else did you think about? How, how convincing did you find it? Their development, their development of their agrarian um, policy and um, their, their, uh, their, their kind of adaptations of technology? Well, I think, I think, so one of the other things that, that, that happens is they, they, well, they stay in the estate Mm. And they read the books in the estate. And obviously they're living on a farm, so they've been watching what's been happening on mm. the farm. So um, so you know, so that's been built up quite nicely in the plot. But looking at it, I mean, as a child, I would have just said, Oh yeah, that's fine, they'll they'll move into mm. this patch of uninhabited um forest and clear it and they'll be able to grow um as much fruit and veg as they need. Um, as an adult who has has an allotment, um, <laughs> I, I think they're, they're very optimistic. Um, and I, I do worry about their, their future um, working the land. Um, I know it says in the book that they've got enough seeds for yes. enough food for 18 months. So if yes. the first lot of crops fail, they can relive. And they're also going to, when they leave the farm, they're going to destroy the nest so they're not tempted to go back there mm. so that's very very interesting that they're thinking you know we know this is going to be something that's going to tempt us back but you know I think I think th- this is a book which is is simplistically saying 
technology is good mm. um science is good um reading is is brilliant do more of it mm. um do as much reading as you can um but doesn't really it doesn't really you know just doesn't really give us any progression of the rats so we never find out about them and I don't I think that part of it is is not is not the most believable part it's the end point that mm. we're moving towards for the rats but um as an adult I think oh those rats aren't going to do very well out out in, in the no. forest no I I, ca- I kind of do keep thinking to myself well at least they can dig up roots they can find berries they can yeah but Mm, uh, uh, surviving a winter it would be yeah and clearly where they live is somewhere I don't know where um I think uh Robert O'Brien's from New York I mm-hmm. think um so presumably what he's thinking about is upstate New York where it is going to be very cold in the winter so yeah I, I'm um I'm a little concerned about those rats, I have to say. I, I think it's really interesting because obviously both have the same edition of the book. Mm. At the end of it, in the about the author, um, he talks about the idea for the novel. Mm. Um, and it was a friend who was ill and went to the National Institutes for Health. And while they were there, um, they were talk, talking that, to somebody and there was a building and it was the animal production facility which was where they had the laboratory animals. Mm. Um, And part of this, it said, um, the attendant we talked to said that though they had no trouble with the other animals, the rats somehow managed to get out of the cages at times. He added that when energy and intelligence were required in a test, the scientists must preferred wild rats over the docile laboratory bred variety. Mm. So this is 1970. So this isn't, you know, in the 70s, this is written. these comments are written and I don't think the understanding of animals in captivity was as broad as it is now and the understanding of how that changes an animal's behavior so the 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 common examples are those you know of animals in zoos where they no longer exhibit natural behavior and and a lot Mm. of the rescue programs for breeds they have to do a lot of work if they're going to do release capture or breed capture uh, Mm. capture release breed release yeah is the release part is months sometimes years of preparation to actually give those animals back the skills and the ability to function in the in the wild so i think yeah the 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 rats even though they were wild to start off with and this is important in this book the wild rats that are captured they're naive as well yes Yes, and they, they were in the laboratory for quite a long time because it's just one of the points of the book is that, as you said, the some of the um, some of the studies that were done on them were to change their DNA. So they're much longer lived than most rats because um, yeah, they they uh, you would be expecting rats um, who've been captured as adult rats not to actually live very long you know outside of captivity um and because they've become reliant on humans for their food and to be to get de-skilled um and and yet yeah they they somehow because of this 
cognition that they've developed, um, they they kind of are able to adapt their own environment to suit their needs. And then also to recognise that this environment is not actually good for them and that they they then want to return back to being totally wild rats. But yes, yeah, it's, it's quite incredible as an idea. It's it's fascinating. And it, I mean, it's not the only book with, uh, as we've, we've said, it's not the only book with talking mice. And it's certainly not the only book about um, animal testing and animals escaping and uh, and so on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the one I always think of is Flowers for Algernon um, uh. when I'm reading this, which is book, something that I read when I was at secondary school that's sort of one of the few things that I actually read and enjoyed at secondary school um, in English literature. Yes, it's, I don't, I mean, ideas about vivisection and so on, and, you know, what started becoming popularly discussed in the 1900s so yeah it's not a not a new idea but it is a current idea um about the ethics of of testing and so on yeah i'm trying mm. to remember when animal liberation was written which was the was was is animal liberation which i think was peter singer's um ethics book mm. and I'm, i think this was after after this was published oh but it's around it's around the time of it's, it's in the 70s there was a lot of these eth ethical ideas around it were getting there was this general thing it was coming out of the 60s and yes. um, every, you know, everything was sort of swimming around at the time so i think those ideas were, were in the source of general consciousness um at the time so yeah it's yeah, yeah it's fascinating anyway yeah. Anyway, anyway, well, you're right. It enough was... about Mrs. Frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Actually, Animal Liberation was published in 1975, so it was obviously a current idea. Um, things that people were talking about, but yeah. So yes, my my choice is Terry Pratchett's The Amazing Morris and His Educated Ravens, um which was the winner of the Carnegie Medal in uh, 2001, I believe. Yes, 2001. So, yeah, this my my copy is also quite an old copy. Um, it was, this was, ah, again, we're book twins. How amazing. <laughs> yeah, my copy is 2002. Oh, this is, uh, I yeah. think this what might have been the, my first children's book by Terry Pratchett and I've been reading Terry Pratchett since the 90s so this wasn't my first Pratchett book um yes it's I think the 28th um book uh in the Discworld and it's his first children's book that fits in the Discworld it predates uh Tiffany the Tiffany books so I'll read the blurb Morris a streetwise tomcat has the perfect money-making scam Everyone knows the stories about rats and pipers and Morris has a stupid looking kid with a pipe and his very own plague of rats, strangely educated rats. But in bad blinks, the little con suddenly goes down the drain for someone there is playing a different tune and now the rats must learn a new word, evil. It's not a game anymore. It's a rat-eat-rat world, and that might be 
only be the start. So very dun 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 uh, beginning of a book. So um, obviously, as you said, this is a book that you you've already read. Can you remember when you first read the Amazing Morris? It, it would have been two thousand and two because this is the first. This is I was a Pratchett reader, and then I read my first book by Pratchett in ninety one. So I was picking them up as paperbacks. Yes, and then um, as hardbacks as well. Um, as as time went on, and I realised they were going to have to last a bit longer. <laughs> um, so yes, I read it in two thousand two but I don't think I'd read it since then right. so um I think it, I'd read it because it was a Pratchett and then mm. I'd concentrated on the Discworld series mm. um proper if you yeah. like the um yeah I was really glad I went back and read it again um I didn't really remember I didn't remember a lot about this book um and I'm just having a look at my notes, and it's much, much grimmer than I remember. Yes. Yeah, it's it's very funny. Um, and I mean, I, I absolutely love, there's, there's parts of it. It is, I think, my favourite Discworld children's novel. Much as I love We Free Men, I think um, Morris just edges it a little bit for me um, because I love, the character of Morris so much. He's such he's so cynical. So, so cynical. And there's I think reading it as an adult, there's so many little drops of just gloriousness all the way through it. I mean, Pratchett is is a, an intensely um intellectual writer in I think I mean obviously he would have agreed with me that he's not an intellectual writer. But I think he is because the layers of his books are so many. So you can read it as a child and think this is really funny. As an adult, you can go, oh, I see what you're doing there. Ah, yes. So this is a satire on the Pied Piper and it's a satire on Grimm's fairy tales. And it's, you know, it's this and it's that. And it's, uh, you know, I think it definitely does harken back to um mrs frisbee i'd love to know if he ever read mrs frisbee um i think he must have done mm. i think he must have done because i just i just the, it, there's some parts of it that are and i know i know it's it's the trope wherever there are rats you're going to have cats wherever mm. but there's there's so many parts of it where you know i feel like there's parallels to Mrs. Frisbee mm. or there's a counterpoint to it. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I like to think he, do, he did because it, it's, it's interesting how it, it picks up some things that are, that are common between the two books, but then it could just be that these are common things, things, are, but the rattiness of the rats in comparison mm. to Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, um, the the rounding out of Morris, mm. um, as you know, the yeah the, the cat character having a proper cat character, 
Um, um, uh, oh, and in particular, I've just realised when we find out what what the pipe, but what the stupid-looking boy's name is, yes. it's like what's your name, Keith? Oh, I didn't know your name was Keith. Nobody asked me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like um, the the bit that I think is is sort of the big parallel is the way that the rats gain cognition. And so in this is Frisbee, as we said, they're injected with with drugs and with um, steroids and so on. And but of course, with it being Pratchett, we have the unseen university, Uh, you know, long term readers of Pratchett know about the long the unseen university and how utterly hopeless so many of the wizards at the university are so of course there's a lot of magic that goes wrong that ends up in the rubbish heap outside the university and the rats are eating there and so they eat magic spells and that's how they gain cognition and then there's always been this big question mark for quite a long time so how did Morris gain cognition? And there's a big sort of Pratchett kind of doesn't say anything about that in a very, very loud way until a particular point in the book when, of course, we find out that he, you know, he's done what cats do when there's, you know, good eating around. And uh, yeah, the, the rat's intelligence has has gone into him as well. So yeah, that that kind of stuff. I just think it's so funny. Yeah, because we first meet the talking animals in in moving pictures. Yes, and in moving pictures, and you can see the germination of of this idea of I don't eat anybody. I always check and see if they can speak first. Yes, um, which is what happens in moving pictures, where you end up with the duck, the talking duck, the talking mouse, uh, yes. the rabbit, and the cat, yeah. and obviously Gaspo, the wonder dog. Um, and you know, there's very much checking if people can speak before you eat them. Yeah, we don't um, eat our friends. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely don't eat our friends. Well, obviously, the rats do eat their friends yes, in the Amazing do. Morris, mm. because that's what happens when a, a rat is dead. Mm. You eat the dead rat because you're yes. rats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. One, I think uh, one of the best things about this book is the way that it starts because it doesn't actually start with you know this is Morris he is a talking cat and here are these talking rats it starts with the whole group of them traveling to Bad Glints because they're traveling around they've got this moving con act that they have to move on quite quickly before people realize what has happened what the scam is so do you want to just explain the scam uh, I don't think that's a spoiler. But, but what the scam? Well, as you as you said, it's 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 sort of riffing off the Pied Piper, and the scam is that they arrive in the town, the um, the rats run around, make a nuisance of themselves, whittle whittle on the flower, pop up in places unexpectedly. Um, our favourite rat is is a rat called Sardines, who was a a theater, it was a rat who lived in a theatre um, and he he makes a very sp- special song and dance, quite literally <laughs> frightening people in their kitchens. He wears a hat. I mean, I, I really love as well 
the way that Pratchett Pratchett uses clothing. Yes, <laughs> in yeah. you know, um, in in this book, but um, so and then they call in a rat piper because rat pipers are a big thing in the disc yeah. world, um, and the rat piper turns out is the boy Keith who gets who gets rid of the rats. They dance, they follow him out of town. Um, he gets paid, and they split the money three ways, um, which is the the mice or the rats get a third of the money, Keith gets a third of the money, and Maurice gets a third of the money because he's the brains of the operation. Yes. Um, so it's his plan. He's their manager. Um, uh, and one of the yes, and one of the other things we're introduced to um, when they're coming into town is um, Morris has been conning them and mm. has been lying about the value of, of various bits and pieces mm. of coinage um but as the cat as sorry as the rats are becoming more aware more experienced they've worked out that the gold colored coins are the the um, more valuable coins than the silver ones yes Yes, and there's a particular rat called Peaches, who is um, a very moral rat uh, and doesn't like this uh, conning thing. And uh, she sort of always pops up and says, um, and which uh, Morris finds extremely irritating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then. Yeah, so, well, oh, sorry, but our rat, yeah, so you just mentioned Peaches and I've mentioned sardines. So obviously, um, the names of the rats yeah. are all um, from tins that they found in the dump. Yeah. So um, there's ham and pork yeah. as the leader, um, and my particular favourite, dark tan. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and they're um, yeah they they've all got their little characters, and um, you know it's one of the things that Patrick does really well is that he can. He does dialogue very well so that they have, you know, uh, Peaches' little um at the beginning of, of sentences. You always know it's what she's, Peaches is going to talk. But they also, he kind of delineates their characters really, really well. So you have, um, oh gosh, it's just gone out of my brain. Dangerous Beans. Dangerous Beans, yes. And you have... Um, you know, the, the rats who are more, like, not that keen on this new way of, of ratting and, and want to go and, and think that things are going too fast and they're moving away from their essential ratty nature. Um, but there's this, uh, they found, at one point, a children's book somewhere in the rubbish bin, and it's called Mr Bunsey's Day Out. Um and at the beginning of each chapter, there's a little bit from Mr. Bunsey, and I'll find a bit to, to read. Um, there were big adventures and small adventures, Mr. Bunsey knew. You didn't get told what size they were going to be before you started. Sometimes you could have a big adventure, even when you were standing still. And that's from Mr. Bunsey has an adventure. Uh, did you ever hear the BBC adaptation? of this no i didn't no i didn't yeah because i'd forgotten i'm um that at the, they actually had a, a 
a little girl reading the Mr. Bunsey bits at the beginning of each each episode, which I, I think is rather delightful. But yeah, so so the rats have built up a sort of religion around uh, Mr. Bunsey, haven't they? Uh, and the Mr. Bunsey books. And, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because in, in Mrs. Frisbee, religion isn't mentioned. Mm. Yeah. There's absolutely no dwelling on consciousness or or rights and wrongs or is there a big rat in the sky yeah. or underground? Nothing like that. But obviously because this is an idea that Pratchett comes back to again and again, is about this idea that what makes us human what makes mm. the, the the consciousness it's about the the idea that we we construct our mm. gods or we construct the ideas to make sense of our sense of understanding as our, of ourselves and mm. yeah as as the rats are developing their their consciousness of themselves and I'm, I'm poor morris in the course of the book, develops a conscience as well, which yeah doesn't he doesn't like it. He doesn't it's like very inconvenient. It is. It is very. But yes, this 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 gets tied into Mister Bunsey as a a because it's it's a book about a rat and there's mm. rats in it and and they and then they meet Melissa or Melissa Melissa. I think it's Melissa, the... yeah. Yes, and um, Melissa is like a dose of um, cold water down their spine, isn't she? Because um, what type of book is this? Why Why would you read this this nonsense? Yes, yeah. My, my I used to be I used to read that and I and I hated it. Yeah, mm. and and she's I mean Melissa is such such an interesting character she's sort of like a cross between uh, Alice in Wonderland and uh, Wednesday Adams you know uh, she's uh she, she, oh, she and she absolutely loves stories but she's it's like she can't always differentiate between fiction and uh, and reality so that there's one bit that um, she's going out. They're going out to kind of uh, skulk around, and she her sort of being discreet in such an utterly dramatic way. You know, not drawing attention to herself in the most attention grabbing manner possible is just hilarious. Um, is it when mind. they're making their way to the rat catches? Yes. They're going to spy um, on the rat catchers, perhaps. Yeah, uh, I can't remember which bit. Anyway, but yeah, she's, you know, it, she's just about, you know, going around with her collars turned up and dark glasses on and a huge hat in order to not draw attention to herself. And of course, everybody stares because, you know, why wouldn't you? <laughs> There's someone so clearly in a disguise, you've got to look at them. So, yeah. I, I do I find that that bit absolutely hilarious. Um and you know she's you know she's absolutely tactless but very, very funny. So we talked a little bit, um we've talked a bit about the religion. Um 
but there's also technology in this book, isn't there? There's, there's um, uh, you know, they, they uh, sort of, they, they start using a harness to pull things around and, yeah, uh, and they're, they're um, they want, what they ultimately want to do is to buy enough money to build a boat to go and sail somewhere um, and be on an island where they think all the animals are going to get along because in Mr. Bunsey there's a friendly snake and a friendly fox and various other animals who all live together in a very, very anthropomorphised way. Um, a, a, a snake in a, in a shirt and a tie. Yes. Or a collar and tie. A collar and tie. <laughs> yeah, with a little hat on. Yeah. Yeah, so so the rats here they do they do use technology they but they they adapt the things that they come across and they mm. um but the reliance on it is a lot less and uh, Mister Clicky I've just you just reminded me of Mister Clicky the clockwork yeah. work mouse which they yes. use to disable traps yeah. uh, <laughs> and they're they're on their last Mister Clicky because the Mister Clickies have. Have been have been doing a lot of work and are not surviving through, because one of the things that's peculiar about this town is there's a lot of poison, there's a lot of trap, there's not a lot of rats. When they they, they call the rats kikis and mm. they don't meet a lot of kikis as they're um, traveling around. And it's made very clear in this in this book as well that in Mrs Frisbee and the rats of Nim, everybody everybody can communicate the vole mm. is ne lives next door to mrs frisbee and everybody speaks the same language they can talk to mm. the crow um everybody's you know all the animals have got a common language they can't talk to the kikis the kikis can't mm. speak it's yes. only the speaking animals can speak mm. um although dangerous beings is is quite empath empathetic when they do mm. find a rat out that is out and about mm. where they you know and this rat tells them that there is fear fear the fearful of a big presence mm. in the town um which is related to this but so yes so they do they do use to admit uh, a dark town has a sword that's been made for him mm. which is obviously a, a bit of a poke at reaper chief i think yes yeah <gasps> yeah the worst talking mouse ever Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, he is insufferable. He's a, he's a he's a terrible terrible character. <laughs> should should not be uh, included in any further adaptations of anything ever. But I loved those books when I was a child. And mm -hmm. um, so, yes. Yeah, so we do have this this use of technology, but it's not quite in the same. It, it's not quite developed they're not wedded to it they're still mm. they can they're using their intelligence to to work out how to deal with the challenges that are presented to them mm. yeah but they're not really going beyond that yeah i i think that they're they're still believably ratty even though they are talking and have names, because I mean, what that's quite a, an odd thing about Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim is that they have names like Justin. Um, <laughs> you know, why would you call a rat Justin? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, but 
uh, yeah, these these rats, as you as you say, have named themselves. So you know they've got appropriately. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you, we've both recently rewatched the Secret of Nim, and of course there is um, a trailer going around that I'm sure lots of our listeners would have seen. Although I'll put the link to it in the um, show notes of a new adaptation of um well not a new adaptation an animated adaptation of um the amazing morris and his educated rodents which i'm very excited about um firstly uh what did what did you think of when you re-watched the secret of nim i it's it's very peculiar mm. um so the original Watching it as an adult, I think they were going to go with the original story because mm. the storyboards of scenes in the laboratories mm. um, and then somebody somewhere, I mean, it's it was made in 1982, mm. um, things like, I don't know when the Dark Crystal and that came out, but mm. um, Star Wars, had, obviously Star Wars had been out by then. And and I think somebody somewhere has looked at it and said, oh, what we need in this very, very um, austere, um, quite um, moral tale about how science and technology um, can help you build a better, better future is um, some magic. Yes. We need some random magic um, put in for absolutely no good reason doesn't appear in the original story we need to turn jenna who is a perfectly reasonable rat who has a difference of opinion and goes his own way in the book into a baddie yeah who wants to take over the rats um and we want to turn nicodemus into a wizard for no for no reason at all um and they keep some quite peculiar oh oh yes and they oh oh Jeremy the Crow, I can't even, I don't even want to think yeah. too much about that. Because he's played by Don DeLuise, mm. who, uh, and yeah, and Jeremy the Crow is barely in the book. You know, he's he's got one or two scenes in the book. And, and yet he's somehow some great, um, you know, he, he's almost like another protagonist in in this in the adaptation and that that's really peculiar there's no good reason for that and they do some very weird things with the character of mrs frisbee who is no longer the pragmatic and brave widow protecting her children well she is but she's also weirdly flirtatious yes What is going? I mean, now I know a lot more about the atmosphere of Hollywood in in the nineteen eighties. I can sort of understand how that could happen. But but why has that happened, Ali? Why? I know, and it it it's it alters the book completely because it's a book about science. It's a it's a science fiction book rather than a fantasy book, and they have changed it into a fantasy. And I think that was all a that was all driven by we can do this stuff technologically 
let's do this stuff te technologically um, rather than um, actually faithfully adapting the book. And what is most peculiar about it is that Watership Down had come out a couple of years previously ah. and had been an enormous hit. And, and that's a fairly faithful retelling of Watership. I mean, obviously, there's loads cut out because if you made a faithful scene-by-scene -scene adaptation of a, a book, it would be, um, you know, three days long or something. So you can't do that. But it is, it's very true to the spirit of the book. Whereas this is nothing like the spirit of the book at all. And um, it's one of the reasons why I think there's some extremely poor uh, animated series in the 1980s, because it's like, we bought this thing, but we're not going to use, we don't, we don't really like this thing. We're going to involve a whole load of different um, writers. We're going to completely change it. You know, it, yeah, it's it's very odd, a very odd film. Yeah, if they wanted, there were books. Oh, they'd already had they already made the adaptation of um, no, I don't, but there were books. There were fan. There were plenty of fantasy books around at that time, <laughs> which if they wanted to do a wizard and wizard type thing mm. that they could turn into an animation just turn the characters into mm. rabbits or mice if that worked for them but to take this quite yeah to take this and just change it so completely and and just you know mm. ma magic magic crystal glowing what who why yeah what was going why? on yeah <laughs> yes why? Uh, why is the question yeah yeah it's it's <laughs> most peculiar I, I mean what what's what are your thoughts i mean I think from we've only seen one trailer so far of uh, the amazing Morris, and it's quite clear that they've made Keith the stupid-looking kid and Militia older. They're they're like teenagers. They're not they're not children in this book. Um, but what what do you think? What did you, what are you looking forward to it, or are you terrified? <laughs> I, I'm. Having seen various Sky adaptations, mm -hmm. they usually do okay. Mm. Um, and I can usually understand why they've made changes. So um, when I was watching the one with the golems in, the name of the one in the post office. Uh, going Postal. Going Postal, thank mm. you. They took out the, a whole fantasy element in that. Yes, well, I totally understood why they did that. That made perfect mm. sense because as a Pratchett reader, I really loved all of that. But it's it once again it it, it flows into his worldview and how he constructs the disc world mm. and what the disc world is. And if you're coming completely new to the series, you will sit and say, Why is this this happened? Mm. Why is this this machine in the basement? Yeah. I don't understand. I totally understand that. So I do trust them on that. Um it's a bit ratatouille <laughs> when I was watching the trailer, um, mm. so I, I'm going to be interested to see what it what it's like when it it's done. It didn't it didn't fill me with dread. No, what did you think, Ali? It I didn't it didn't fill me with dread either. I um one of the things that I think people need to bear in mind with with adaptations of children's films is that nowadays it's not like when I were a lass and all this with fields and my sisters and I would be sent to the cinema 
uh, and I would be taking my sisters to the cinema when I was about 10 on my own um, for, uh, you know, on a Saturday morning for the kids' films. Um, you know, it's adults go with children to the cinema. And so a lot of the time there's got to be a reason for an adult to want to see a film as well. And yes, the flirty thing is a bit annoying. It's not not really necessary, but there's got to be a reason for people to engage with this at different levels. And if it's a family film, then there might there's likely to be children of very different ages going to see it along with, you know, parents, aunties, uncles, whoever's taking the kid to the cinema. And um, I like the voices they've used. I think um, that the, the Morris voice, is it, um, Hugh Laurie, uh, is really, really good. And I, I like the sound of, of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm also cautiously optimistic. And, you know, if it, if it's if it works and it brings more readers, child readers to perhaps it, fabulous. If it doesn't work, well, I've still got the book and I've still got the audio book. And I love the audio book of Amazing Morris. It's very, very good. Very well read. Yeah. I have the Stephen, is that the Stephen Briggs version? Yes. It? The Stephen Stephen because that was because I listened to both audiobooks for these because mm. it, well, I sort of I flipped between the two for Mrs. Frisbee, but because uh, Dark Tanny sort of presented with this Michael Caine type Yes, thing. yes. It's, it really tickled, tickled me because it's very much you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off type of thing. Yeah. So that that I really love the way that it did. And the other thing I just meant, wanted to mention was about reading ages. Yes. Yeah. Because we, we both have the same copy of Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats and the Name. That has a, a devised reading age of 10. Mm. Now Terry Pratchett has a reading age of eight. Mm. I would say that this was not a reading age of ten. Now, no, no. Um, I wouldn't say there's anything particularly problematic in maybe, but maybe if you maybe if you were help you were with somebody going through and just checking on some of the some of the words. Mm. Um, but this. Th- the Amazing Morris to me is a much more adult book. Yeah, I I think that uh, eleven plus. I would say uh, I think that there are there are kids who could definitely read the words and would have no trouble reading the words at all, but don't think they would get all the references, which isn't always a terrible thing with Pratchett, but also there's there's some very scary bits in it. Um, and we haven't mentioned the rat catchers. And what the rat catchers are actually doing are catching the rats, not to perform experiments on them, but it is for dog fighting like, uh, and rat baiting. And that's really horrible. Um, and, uh, you know, and doesn't we- it doesn't end well for the rats. So that you know that that particular scene, the rat, the majority of the rats are fine at the end of the book, but that I think, and that and the rat king, uh, spider mm. is is frightening. So um, I think that children reading this too young would probably be put off 
Um, and so I can I can see myself reading the amazing Morris two children when they were slightly younger, but it would have to be, you know, children who were robust enough to take it. But I think for a child to read it on their own, yeah, 11, 11, 12, 13, probably. Yeah, I mean, that is, I mean, the, the Rat King section of it is, you know, is that whole part of it is incredibly disturbing when mm. you think about why the Rat King exists, yes. what has happened to to him. And the rat, the way the rat catches develop, I mean, he, Terry Pratchett lays it all out for the reader, mm. that the, the, the thought processes, how they went from people who were catching rats to mm. to give to, and part of the perks of the job was that you, you, you provide rats for the rat pits to actually caging rats mm. to thinking, well, you know, we'll, we need enough rats for this. So uh, let's um, breed the rats mm. and keep them in cages. And and every step is documented and it's, mm. yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a frightening lesson. I mean, I've not read Mouse, which is the, mm. the, the book that's been banned in America, um, graphic novel. Mm. And partly because, I, as an adult, I, I don't think I want to. I don't think I want mm. to confront that. I mean, I will have to. I, I will at some point. Mm. Um, but you know, the rats in Mrs. Frisbee and the rats of name and in the Amazing Morris are right. You know, that they they are a species who, throughout human history, are vilified or. Mm. Are treated really treated like pests till that they they bring disease. They're exterminated, mm. um, you know. And um, if these two if if these two books do a little bit of pro rat publicity, and yes. people feel a little bit kinder towards them because they are just doing what they they're designed yeah. to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's been lovely talking to you, Ange. Um, where can people find you online? At Ange underscore Gurr on Twitter, and that's mm -hmm. A-N-G underscore G-R-R-R. So it's three R's, but I, I mm. go by my um, given name. So I'm, I'm down as Angela Rosen because it's sort of slightly my professional account. Right. Um, and, you, you know, I hang around on various fanish discord servers mm. and groups bsfa and convention servers so um if people do want to to find me um that's where i am brilliant well, i shall i shall put a link to your twitter account in the show notes thank you for listening to this episode of um fantasy books oh my gosh it's actually episode 27 good lord you can find us on twitter at fantasy swap on Facebook at Fantasy Bookswap or email fantasybookswap at gmail.com. Subscribe. You can subscribe at most of your favourite podcast places or download from Podbean. Please do rate and review if you can. It helps to satisfy my vanity. And thank you for people who have uh, reviewed this week, which is lovely. Thanks to Steve Vapertrails for production assistance and Jack Sadler-Johnson for the use of his beautiful track, Bliss. 
Until next time. Bye.